All right, everybody. Welcome to season one of the Zest for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Spencer. A few things about me. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have a PhD in human development and family science. I'm a certified family life educator. I'm also a professor. So I teach, I do research, and I engage in clinical practice. One of the questions I get asked most by students and clients is how do I experience happiness more fully in my life? And this is a really important question. And I've learned as a therapist and a scientist that sometimes simple questions have pretty sophisticated answers. So the quest of season one of the Zest for Life podcast is to better understand both the science and art of happiness. So as I'm beginning to prepare for the season, I took a deep dive in the positive psychology research, assuming that would contain all the information I would ever need to know about wellness. But one of the things that has delighted me the most is that the more I got into sort of studying the, the deep underlying mechanisms of happiness, the more I understood this is such a multidisciplinary topic and that I found myself not just in positive psychology, but you start looking at economic research. You start looking at sleep research. You start looking at different biological processes. You start looking at the role of genetics and environment on happiness. And all in all, just know that, wow, the question of how do I experience happiness more fully? There are a lot of ways to answer that question. So for each episode this season, we're going to take a deep dive into a different aspect of wellness. And hopefully by the end, you'll be able to answer the question, how do you more full experience happiness in a way that fits congruent and authentic for you? So with that as an introduction, folks, let's get this party rolling. Episode one, exploring happiness. Consider this. It's July 4th, 1776. The Declaration of Independence goes before the Primitive Congress of 13 states. Within this document, the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence identifies three unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when I like pause to take like stock of like what does that mean a pursuit of happiness? It's kind of this like Dah! like like what what does that really mean? And one of the most salient things to emerge from the happiness research is that when people directly try to pursue happiness, they experience less happiness. Meaning when someone becomes fixated on trying to be happy, they ultimately are less happy. Which begs the question, how do I then experience an increase of happiness in my life if I can't pursue it directly? When I sort of sit and kind of muse on that question, I'm reminded of my dear friend, Hans. I first met Hans when I was 24 years old. I had just moved to Oklahoma to go to graduate school. I was a young father, a young husband, and kind of just struggling through that phase of life. And Hans taught me many beautiful things about life, but one of the quirkiest things about Hans that has deeply impacted me was ironically the way he would talk on the phone. Because normally, when people would talk to me on the phone, I almost like try to get the <laughs> try to end the conversation as quick as possible, where I just say, "Okay, what's what's the purpose of the call? Let's meet that objective. Goodbye, whatever." And and in those instances, someone may actually even say, "Hey, Todd, how are you doing?" And I give the socially, you know, expect answer. Oh, I'm fine, right? 
But with Hans, Hans would never say hello when he calls you, first of all. But he would start the same way, and he would say, Todd, are you happy? And I remember the first time Hans calling, and he like, Todd, are you happy? I would say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks for asking, Hans. But he kept asking it. And the more he would ask and the more our relationship deepened, the more I started to open up. So he would ring me up, Todd, are you happy? And sometimes, you know what? I am, but also today's been a hard day. And just being able to really sort of reflect on that question, Todd, are you happy? Radically changed my interactions with both Hans and myself. So, dear listener, I ask you, are you happy? And as you sit and reflect on that, it probably causes a little bit of discomfort. And part of this is due to the fact that happiness is really difficult to define. For example, if I were to ask my kids, what's the opposite of night? They would say day. Or if I were to ask, hey, what's the opposite of hot? They would say cold. And if I were to ask them, what's the opposite of happiness? You named it, they would say sadness. And so there's sometimes when we start conceptualizing happiness, we sometimes fall in the trap of thinking happiness is simply the absence of sadness. But the reality is, like, that couldn't be farther from the truth. One of the things that makes us unique as a species is our ability to feel more than one emotion at the same time. And this can cause some confusion and even frustration because when I've worked with people that are experiencing loss and grief, there's often this one part of me feels this way, but another part feels that way. And sometimes when we feel overwhelmed by all the emotions we're feeling, we tend to shut down and stop exploring them. And one quick cautionary tell. I've often worked with people that have experienced some really difficult, distressing things. And they may be an optimist or positive by nature. And they're trying to see things in the best light possible. Now, I, I myself, I identify with the desire to try to see the cup half full. I identify as trying to be positive and to choose to intentionally try to create moments of just positive reflection. I think this is good and this is healthy. Also, there are times though when I've worked with people that they almost feel pressure to put a silver lining in an experience that's been distressing. Or they're trying to find the good in something when the reality is they need to sit with the bad or the yuck. And in a future episode, we're going to be talking about the role of optimism within happiness and wholeness. But in, in that episode, we'll also address the role of toxic positivity, meaning sometimes if we try so hard to make bad things good, we sometimes are not validating our own experiences, and that potentially becomes a barrier in relationships. So, can you feel happy and sad at the same time? Yes. Happiness is more than the absence of sadness. But if we're going to be truly well, it's important for us to not ignore the sadness or the distress. So, one of the common mistakes people make when defining happiness is simply the absence of sadness. When we know that, yes, we can feel multiple emotions at the same time. 
Another common way people tend to look at happiness is called a hedonist approach. And simply with hedonism, it's this idea where we're trying to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. And so for some people, they say, oh, I'm happy if I have more pleasurable experiences than I do painful experiences. Another branch of research on happiness uses life satisfaction theories to explain it, which is basically just a subjective perception of us individually on do I feel satisfied with my life in whole? And while theories are interesting and helpful for researchers to kind of conceptualize these different constructs, one of the models I found to be most helpful in explaining happiness in a pragmatic way comes from Tal Ben-Shahar's Spire model. Tal is, is sort of a big figure in positive psychology. He's a lecturer who's been involved with Harvard. Uh, one of his claims to fame is, you know, teaching the happiness class that was the most popular class in Harvard history. And in my opinion, his most important contributions are the way he's built off of the initial research findings that when people directly try to pursue happiness or happiness is a goal and they start to say, all right, I'm going to be happy, that they ultimately are less happy. And thus sort of his SPIRE model is born. SPIRE simply stands for spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. And these are different domains of well-being. And the idea is as we engage in these domains of well-being, sort of the, the byproduct is an increase in wholeness and happiness and well-being. And so rather than chasing happiness directly, engage in the aspects that make people feel whole. The first component of the SPIRE model is spiritual well-being. And spiritual well-being is defined as sort of what gives people purpose and meaning. It's one of those things that sort of what are the values that drive someone's actions. And so when I'm working with clients, sometimes it's let's explore the meaning-making, the spirituality, the values you hold. And as people try to live congruently within that value system, they tend to experience an increased sense of wellness. The second piece of the SPIRE model is physical well-being. And this has a lot to do with the relationship with your body and your physical health. So being able to make it a priority to say, oh, the vehicle in which I experience life through is my body. Am I taking care of it properly? So that does include nutrition. It does include exercise, but also it includes things like sleep. And so we'll dig in deeper about the physical aspects of health. But overall, knowing that our physical well-being is a key component to wellness is important. Third, we have intellectual well-being. And this is basically how do you feel yourself expanding and growing as a person? And this often looks like people engaging in interest and hobbies. It involves how do I feel like I'm expanding my understanding of things that you care about and that you value. One of the biggest detriments I've seen when working with people is that they tend to feel less well as they stagnate. And so intellectual well-being is really important to sort of continue to engage in the things that add vibrancy to your life, especially on an intellectual level. The fourth component is relational well-being. And one of the things if, with all the millions and squillions of dollars spent on wellness research and all the millions of dollars spent on relationship research, one of the most prominent findings is that the greatest indicator or the strongest predictor of someone's subjective well-being 
is their perception of the quality of their relationships. We will do a deep, deep dive into the role of relationships within wellness because the reality is how you sort of are contributing and benefiting to the relationships around you is crucial in your overall well-being. The last component is emotional well-being. And I know we talked earlier a little bit about being able to feel multiple emotions at the same time. But the reality is when people are able to create experiences and use their body systems designed for wellness, they're able to experience a greater sense of wholeness within their life. And so again, don't chase happiness directly. Don't say my pursuit today is to be happy. It's more to say, how do I engage with my spiritual well-being, my physical well-being, intellectual well-being, relational well-being, and emotional well-being? And as we engage with these in concert with one another, then we tend to maximize our experiences and truly begin to experience uh, the, a greater sense of wholeness in our life. One of the key goals of this podcast is to provide you with actual tools to put into practice what we know from research and from theory and from clinical practice. And so we're going to conclude today with a few application ideas on how do we start implementing some of the things we've discussed about. The first thing you might consider is if you were to get out a piece of paper and identify who is the happiest person you know. Allow the image of them to come into your mind and write down who is the happiest person you know. And think about the SPIRE model. What is it you know, about those specific domains that they are doing well? And then I want you to ask, what about them exudes wholeness and joy? What are the signs of their happiness? How would you say, I know this person is happy because X, Y, or Z? Then... I'd have you consider if you were to have a conversation with this person, what would they tell you is the purpose of life? And as you reflect and write down your thoughts and ideas, you'll begin to understand a little bit more what it is you value and what it is you want to create in your own life. One additional thing to consider for today is to dig deeper into the SPIRE model. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being that you've intentionally engaged within this source of well-being, 1 being it's something that has been neglected within your current life, how much have you invested in your spiritual well-being? On a scale of 1 to 10, what about your physical well-being? How about your intellectual well-being? Your relational well-being? And finally, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your current emotional well-being? As you sort of evaluate the places that you're already nurturing and doing well in, ask yourself, what is working? But as you find other areas where that feel underdeveloped or undernurtured, consider asking yourself, what could I do that would potentially nurture that domain of wellness during this next week? and explore what it is that you really need to feel whole. All right, and that concludes the first episode of the Zest for Life podcast. Please join us next time as we start exploring how do we deepen our relationship within ourselves and how that impacts overall happiness and wellness 